Hi, I'm Amy. Hi, I'm Roisin. Hi, I'm Tara. Welcome to Yonic Boom. The fortnightly podcast hosted by three deadly feminist midwives exploring women's reproductive and sexual health. Welcome to episode six. Is it? Six. six. Already? Yeah. That's and crazy. This week, this fortnight, we are talking about five. Oh, five. yeah. Well, five. Head of six if you include the bonus episode, no? Yes. There you go. Yeah. Um, and this episode, we are talking about contraception and STDs. Cool. Mm. So um, I'll kick us off with a little bit of news. Yes, great. Um, so this week that we are recording, um, it was announced by the HSE, announced by um, Simon Harris, um, that they're going to start rolling out a prep programme um, here in Ireland, which Fantastic. is great. Um, and Amy, I know you looked into PrEP a little bit, um, but what, um, so PrEP is pre-exposure prophylaxis. Um, and what it basically means is that um, partners of people who are living with HIV can take a medication uh, to prevent um, becoming infected, infected with, with the with the virus yeah um so they have a, a prep program uh, currently but it's really only for um couples who want to kind of try for a baby that's that's kind of really the mm-hmm. only the only um um incidents where they would use okay. it so um if the woman is hiv positive then her husband will take prep um and they will time their unprotected sex um around obviously her her ovulation um to to prevent um becoming infected um so yeah so basically it's going to be rolled out so um hopefully it means a reduction um over the next number of years of people who um contract the the virus so That'd that's be amazing that's great that's great news people campaigned really hard for that so yeah it's good to see it all yeah and also uh, on the same vein um they are there is a working group um looking at free contraception um and i think uh, and the same is it's it like same? an oroctus working group or something yes yeah and kind i think it's like is a task force or something looking at the feasibility force. of providing yes free contraception yeah and i think the uh, like increased education sex ed is part of that as well isn't it cool. yeah um well i mean they kind of have to you know if we're yeah if we're talking about full reproductive Yeah, I did read an article today about, uh, by Peter Boylan, who is the, I can't remember the title. Clinical lead. Clinical lead for like abortion services or whatever, um, who was saying that everything is going quite well in that arena, but that it's not going to be fully successful until we implement free contraception contraception and better sex ed. Great. Yeah. So it all goes kind of hand in hand. It does. Exactly. Um, so I looked into some contraception stuff um, and then Amy, you're going to fill us in with the STI um, fun times. Yes. Um, and then we'll see a few other bits and pieces along the way. And we have, I think, two questions for our Agni aunt. Cool. Which is great. Great. Um, okay. So with the first thing that I kind of looked into in terms of contraception is um, like a bit of a history of contraception in Ireland. So the Irish Family Planning Association... Um, uh, actually, sorry, I just have the words written down there. Um, are probably the main anyway. They're probably the main kind of um go to for um contraception um 
here. Um, so from 1935, it was illegal to sell or import um, contraceptive devices or pills. Um, but people, uh, so the, the IFPA was around from then um, and people would donate to family planning associations and then as a gift they would receive mm. a condom. You just know. the one. Just the one, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, at that time condoms were a little bit thicker. They were reusable. They weren't like the condoms oh, that we have now. Did you wash them out? Yeah. Okay. That sounds yeah. horrific. Oh yeah, no, you had to like lube them up yourself and everything. Who got the I fucking job of washing out the dirty <laughs> condom? Who do you think? <laughs> Fair point. Yeah. Um, and then, so, <laughs> um, in, in 1963 in Ireland, the pill became available as a cycle regulator. In the UK, it was introduced as a, both a, a cycle regulator and as a contraceptive in 1961 and available on the NHS from that time. Not like our, you know, a little bit later here. Um, but in 1971, Mary Robinson first tried to introduce a bill to liberalise contraception, um, but it was not allowed to be read. She's some woman. Isn't yeah, she? She's amazing. Um, and then um, in, so that was in early 1971, March 31st, um, there were protesters in Leinster House that sort of basically, um, you know, made their voices heard to say, look, this is madness. Um, you know, we need access to contraception. And then on May 22nd, 1971, was when the um, women took the train. They went up to Belfast. They, they, the contraceptive train. The, con the contraceptive train, yeah. Um, and they came, came down with condoms. And that was basically to demonstrate the... Um, like how illogical the the law was. Um, and I, my own mother-in-law said to me, yeah, you know, we used to go to Belfast and we'd get condoms up there. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Um, so then in 1973, so two years later, a bill was brought forward, but there was no action. And then in 1979, the um, Health Family Planning Bill was introduced by uh, Charles Hahi. And he, that on that bill, contraceptives were available for bona fide family planning or adequate medical reasons. So, um, you you know, they had to be, like, you couldn't get them... Just for the crack. Just for the crack. Yeah. It was only for family planning. So... Um, so would this have still been, like, going to your GP as oh, yeah. a married Oh, yeah, like, to get a card, you had to get it on a prescription. Get, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, so basically the, the influence of the church meant um, that it was unlikely that unmarried people could could avail of that um, and that came into effect in 1980 and then in 1985 it was amended um, and condoms and spermicides could be purchased by people over the age of 18 without a prescription and then in as of 1992 it was age of 17 um, and obviously in the mid 80s um, so it's kind of looking at like um, the history of condoms um, and from about 1982 that was when um HIV and AIDS was recognised as a sexually transmitted disease. So it was from then that really condoms were advertised as the only way to have sex without risk of AIDS. Okay. Um, uh, so let me see. So condoms have been around for several centuries. The, the oldest one ever excavated was from 1642. Wow. Um, and that amazing. Was, that was in Dudley Castle <laughs> in the UK and it was uh, made of animal membrane. So over the last <laughs> over the last number of years, they were made with a variety of materials, um, animal intestines um, and chemically treated linen. 
since okay. the 19th that century. That sounds kind of a bit rough, Linen. doesn't it? Mm. Is Linen not like porous? It's not the yeah um, and then they were made of rubber from the <laughs> from the mid 19th <laughs> century um and the 20th century then and then obviously as times have gone on they've you know advanced the technology they've evolved thank god um and mm. i was trying to think of a few names um of like like slang names and stuff but then i also i also found like a list of nobody really knows where the name comes from like the official um etymology is unknown of the word condom um but the latin condon means receptacle okay condomina means house and cumdum i wish we called them that um, <laughs> is a, a scabbard or a case okay so but but officially the etymology is unknown okay so i like yours so is that where coming comes from maybe cumdum blown the lid right off it mm. <laughs> um, so I was trying to think of a few names and I only I only got a few I, I didn't have too much time uh, rubber Johnny French letter prophylactic they were the ones <laughs> are, are these ones that you what? use come on with these. Yeah, yeah. Do you <laughs> grab the French letters from the desk <laughs> well these are the ones that historically before my time okay. I would have <laughs> initially I was like Okay, I don't know if I've ever heard you use any. <laughs> I've never used, like, in seriousness, anything, like any slang term for a condom. No, I don't think so. No, I don't think I have in seriousness either. No. no. In serious. <laughs> like, grab a Johnny. Grab, yeah. yeah. Let's have a great time. <laughs> <laughs> Hand me the prophylactics. Although the first time I heard the term Johnny was from my eldest sister. We were on a really awesome family holiday down in West Cork. All of my dad's side of the family had come over for a family reunion. And for some unknown reason, all of our parents decided to let all of us so my sister is 11 years older than me. She would have been the oldest cousin. Mm -hmm. And at that time, she would have been 22. So she was in charge of all of us down to the age of eight or seven. And they let us all stay alone in a house in the village of Clonagilty while they stayed like a good 20 minute drive away. So my sister being the ultra responsible person that she was brought us all, used to bring us all to the pub. Like so they could still go drinking. And we were walking home from the village one night and they were, she was looking for a taxi, I think. And someone had told her that the local taxi driver mm. was Johnny. So she was a little bit drunk, had let us like at 11 and 12 have like an Alco pop each. So we were like having the time of our lives. And she went into the local chipper full of all locals and they knew we were all like the blow-ins from Dublin yeah. kind of thing. And she roared at the top of her voice, are there any Johnnies in here? And literally all of the men in the chipper just fell around the place laughing and they had to explain to us why everyone found it so funny. Oh, it was brilliant. Very funny. Very funny. <laughs> An underage drinking holiday in... Sorry, guilty. <laughs> Listen, you were you were young. You didn't. That know. holiday was an education of all sorts. <laughs> yeah. Nothing oh, bad happened good. to me. I just like to point that out. <laughs> um, okay, so I looked into different types of contraception, um, and I have a little bit of um, information 
about a couple of different. You're actually a trained practitioner. I brought my you? certificate with me, Amy. She today. brought yeah, her right. certificate. I yeah. expect that us. to be posted on her Instagram. Yeah. I'll, I'll, um, she removed I'll it from pixelate. the frame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was hanging in. Yeah. Um, okay, so there are a number of different types of contraception. Um, as we all know, abstinence is the most guaranteed. <laughs> and the only one we advise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Amy, I think you're, well, you're going to talk to us about the, probably the most popular form of contraception in modern Ireland. <laughs> the pull out and pray method. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so I just have a list here, so I'll just kind of go go through these. So um, there are um, intrauterine devices. Um, so there's that's also known as the coil. So there is a hormonal coil and there is a copper coil. Um, do you want the information on these now, or will I will I do the list and come back? Do the listen come back? Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Um, okay, and then you have um, the implant. So that's a little a little plastic bar that goes in the arm. Um, and then you have another one called the in, the injection. So that's an intramuscular injection, slow release into uh, probably the the bum, really, um, more often than not. So those are all known as um, LARCs, long acting reversible contraception. Um, and then you have the patch, uh, which is which is a plaster, um, the ring, which is a, a little rubber ring that is inserted into the vagina, a diaphragm, um, which is a plastic cap. It's a it's a barrier method, um, and then your other barrier methods are um, you've got condoms, uh, female condoms, um, and dental dams for oral sex. So I was looking into, um, I looked on a few pharmacies' websites, um, big pharmacies. I could not see female condoms. Femidoms. Femidoms. I couldn't find them what listed. What a terrible name. <laughs> I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't find them listed. Um, so not easy to get a hold of. Mm. Um no pun intended. I don't know anyone who's actually ever used a femidon. I don't Re- know. Reach out to us if you have. Yeah, please do. Please share your stories. I've read many descriptions of how to put them in. Um, you know, have you? Do you guys have you guys ever looked into? They so kinda, it's, it's like two two rings. Yeah. So a smaller inner ring and then a slightly larger outer ring, um, and the material that it's made of is not soft latex like like a condom it's a little bit more like a plastic bag it's a slightly oh, different hmm. material um and apparently they work really well if you actually insert a couple of hours before before having intercourse because they will warm up well that's what they say about your diaphragm too is yes, that you can yeah, kind of yeah. pop so it you, in a little while before it, so they recommend putting in a diaphragm about three hours before having intercourse and leave but, you, but with the thing with the diaphragm is first of all you have to know you have it in the right place so it's a yeah. little cap that sits right at the top of the vagina covering the cervix you also use it with a spermicidal gel um, and a diaphragm is only 92 to 96% effective so not especially effective um, and yeah you have to leave it in place for six hours um, Afterwards, post, yeah, and if you gain weight or lose weight or have a baby, you have to go and be refitted. Yeah, they're quite expensive. I had one. Yeah, they're, it's eighty euro. It's a lot, like cheaper than a baby. True. You kind of have to really know as well. Your night's kind of planned out for you, isn't it? Yeah, like, absolutely. You've yeah. got another three hours. Yeah, for which this is effective. <laughs> yeah, that's. I remember in films back in the day, like women used to go. 
excuse me for a moment and then they'd kind of like oh that was like shrink a thing off to in the bathroom in city in sex, yeah 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 um but yeah um uh so sorry there lost my train of thought for a second um but yeah and then a so a dental dam then is is a a form of protection for for oral sex um not anything they're not kind of available to purchase uh the website that i looked at is actually hiv ireland is a very good um informative website and they said that there there are some places maybe in america that you might be able to buy them but usually what people will do is they'll cut a piece off a condom that's what i thought that's what i thought a dental dam was i didn't actually yeah. know you could buy I, i'm like ones. trying to picture how it works so without they, just moving in your mouth anytime you're no basically you you t- you get a piece of um of latex so say you cut a piece of a condom that's going to sort of cover a vulva okay so it's going to be that size and then you put the lubed side against the vulva and then you stimulate with your mouth on the other side okay so yeah i think i mean probably not especially popular although i don't have any personal experience so i don't know um, yeah again yeah. I think that would be one I've often heard about but haven't really heard yeah I suppose if you're not kind of used to it and you yeah. don't know how it would work yeah it sounds kind of impractical and yeah. that it would just move or whatever yeah but obviously people but, are using yeah. them and they are recommended mm. yeah but just yeah yeah something anyway we're always learning here always um and then the two types um of um more permanent um oh my god sorry um contraception the word wasn't there <laughs> um so there's a vasectomy um so that is cutting the tubes um that lead from um from the testes to the uh penis uh that is a service that is provided by the IFPA um and lots of other lots of other places the IFPA did the first one in Ireland in 1973 Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so they recommend kind of one week rest afterwards. Um, and there are no long-term risks with it. And um, they do recommend that people have three semen analysis done afterwards. It kind of takes 14 to 16 weeks. Um, and once you've had your three kind of clear samples, basically that there's no no sperm left in the um, ejaculate, then you're you're safe for, for unprotected um, sex without the risk of pregnancy. Um, and so they yeah a vasectomy normally done you know by men who feel that they either definitely don't want to have children or that they have completed their family are they reversible yeah they, they they can be reversible but not not always with great success um but it is it is possible but you should treat it like it's final it's final yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and actually on the on the website i the IFPA website is great and it says that for a vasectomy or for a tubal ligation or a tubal occlusion, which is the female version. So that's where they cut, clip or block the tubes, the fallopian tubes leading from the ovaries to the womb, that you should never make that decision in a time of stress. Mm. You know, you should, yeah. you know, you should wait and make sure you're making that decision at the right time because it you, you treat it as a permanent yeah, decision. well, that's generally why they wouldn't not allow, sounds like such a horrible word, why they wouldn't recommend recommend women have making that decision if they come in in labour and require an emergency cesarean section. Yeah. Generally speaking, the obstetricians will say it's not appropriate to proceed with a tubal ligation in an emergency situation because that woman might yeah. 
change her mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is um, it is something that is offered to women um, if they feel they have completed their family and if they are um, having a planned cesarean birth. Mm. Um, it is something that can be offered to women. There used to be kind of an age limit on it. I know when I was when we were training, they wouldn't do it on anyone under um, thirty five. Yeah, even yeah. I met a woman who who was in to have her sixth baby, and they said, "No, no, you're I've under thirty five." I've definitely still recently met some women on the postnatal ward who've asked for it, and they've yeah. been told declined. declined to have yeah. it done, which I think is a real shame. Like, if you know you're done, yeah, it shouldn't mm. matter what age you are. Absolutely, like, yeah. This is this is women maybe just under thirty or in their early thirties who might have. Five Three or, or six, four children yeah. or more. Yeah. And like, it's fine to be done and yeah. to be a quote unquote young woman. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. just, um, uh, I know, just to be clear, if you have, if you have, if you're having a planned cesarean with tubal ligation and you come in and you end up needing an emergency cesarean section, but sometimes, which sometimes happen, they will do the tubal ligation if it has already been discussed. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. there are certain so instances where they may not, mm. if they think, if it's an extreme preterm delivery mm. and yeah. they yeah. think that those circumstances would make the woman want to go on and try to have, have another, another child. baby yeah. in the future. Yeah. 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 But yeah, once you're close to term, if you've if you've discussed it with your obstetrician, if you've signed your um, consent, yeah, then they, they will. Um, the risk of um, fail with tubal ligation is three in 1000. So, you know, it's small to be small. aware of. Yeah, small, absolutely. Yeah. Essential to be aware of, I would think, but but small enough. Yeah. Um, so those are the different types. So I'll tell you a little bit more. Um, oh, sorry. And then the, the pills. I have more information about the pills. I just didn't have them written on my list there. Um, and emergency contraception then as well is the other is the other one. Um, so the there are I'll start with coils. So there are hormonal coils. Uh, Marina and Kylina. Um, last five years um, and there's a coil called the JDS which is a little bit smaller and that lasts about three years. So what is the coil? It's a T-shaped piece of plastic um, and in the hormonal ones they, it's embedded with um, with a small amount um, of hormone. What they do, they change the conditions in the womb and it basically prevents sperm from fertilising um, an egg and prevents an egg um, from implanting so it makes the lining of the womb very very thin so that nothing can nothing can implant there um, lots of women have um, irregular bleeding with it um, but then that usually settles down around about six months in or before six months in um, and many women have no periods at all when they have mm. the when they have the coil um, risks wise there's a small risk of perforation there's a small risk of um so that's that's perforation of the uterus when they're putting it in, but the risk is really quite minimal. Um, and actually, when I did my um, contraceptive training, they told us that uh, they were starting, the practice was starting to come in of inserting the coil at a cesarean birth. So to prevent having mm. another um, procedure done, um, which I know they are starting, they are starting to do that now. I have a friend who's pregnant at the moment and... Um, she's she's planning a cesarean birth, and they said to her, "Yeah, you can have your your coil. You literally just need to that rock up sense. with it on the day." Yeah, that's yeah, great. it does. Um, so yeah, so so worth um, worth bearing in mind, I suppose. Would it, <clears throat> would it move 
with yeah, kind of so, involution of your uterus? Yes, there is a chance. Um, and particularly for women who are breastfeeding, there is a slightly increased chance of perforation. Yeah. Or that it might okay. lodge itself in the scar. But mm. um, I think so far they're having quite a lot of success with it. Yeah, so. no, it sounds really good. Yeah. Um, and um, with both types of coils. So then, so so that's the, the marina coil. Um and then the other type of coil that there is is called the copper coil. So it is, again, a small little T-shaped piece of plastic sits in the uterus um, and it is wound with copper. Um, and the reason for the copper is that it's copper is like kryptonite to sperm <laughs> and eggs. <laughs> That's a great comparison. <laughs> That's what, well, how we were trained. Die, sperm, die. Yeah, pretty much. So... Although um, the copper actually causes the endometrium, the inner lining of the womb, to flourish. So women who have the copper coil, they actually experience heavier and longer periods. So it's by a factor of one. So if you have um, a four day long period and you require four pads per day, if you have the copper coil inserted, you will have a five day long period requiring five pads per day. Okay. Um, the difference being that some people don't want a hormonal product in their body and the mm. copper coil is is just that it's copper um, so it's not a hormonal product and you can get some that last 10 years so I mean if you think you know yeah, that's, well, that's going to last a really long time and then you time. can get some jewellery made out of it at the end Excellent as some people idea. do yeah beautiful really yeah that's obviously an opt in yeah. Kind of. <laughs> Our GP's Service. doing that, are they? <laughs> um, the other thing with the copper coil is just that um, while many GPs will fit the marina coil, um, fewer GPs fit the copper coil. Obviously, the IFPA, they, they fit them all the time. Um, but just that you need to double check with your GP whether they fit them or not. And if, if the copper coil is what you want, then perhaps the IFPA is, is, a, better, is a better place to go. Um, Interestingly, the copper coil can be used as an emergency contraception as well. Yeah, I read that only today, actually, which I thought was really interesting. Very interesting. Inserted up to five days after unprotected sex. Yes. Yeah. And it will prevent Mm. um, pregnancy, which I mean, that's it's quite amazing, really. Um, And in in particular, you know, maybe um, having an experience of, of unplanned, unprotected sex and needing the emergency contraception, maybe that some women would say, God, yeah, you know, maybe I'll just get the coil in and then I, I don't then have to think in, about like, it. And I don't yeah. have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, so those are the two coils. Any? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure if I'm making this clear enough or not. Um, so then the next one then is the implant. So this is another long acting reversible. So the implant is progesterone um, based. It's put in under the skin in the beside the bicep. I'm pointing. Um, you're in, <laughs> yeah, you're in the bicep. <laughs> um, beside the beside the bicep. So um, basically, how does it work? It prevents ovulation and it thickens the, mu- the mucus um, in the cervix to prevent uh, sperm entering the, the uterus. Um, so they, they, your nurse, uh, a nurse or doctor who are trained in the procedure can do it. Um, so they put a local anaesthetic in, uh, into the arm just to numb the area. And then they use kind of a special 
kind of like a special gun to sort of slide the implant in onto the skin. Um, it doesn't usually require a stitch or anything like that. It just slides in. They put a plaster over it um, and leave it for a couple of days. Um, and then you you should be able to feel the implant, the bar in under the under the skin. Lasts for three years um, and it's easy to remove. Again, if you go to somebody who are trained, um, what they'll do is they will find it, first of all. Um, if it can't be found easily, they might send you for an ultrasound. I know somebody that had to go for an ultrasound. It had moved slightly, but they found it um, in the end. Um, and then what they do is they put um, a local anaesthetic on again. Uh, they locate it. They push, they push one end of it in in order to make the other end of it pop out a pop little out, bit yeah. and okay. um, put a tiny little cut a little nick in the skin and just retrieve it out with a, with a little mm. forceps just pull it pull it back out um, and you can have another one inserted immediately so because it's a continuous um, dose of progesterone um, it's very um, reliable lots of people really like it because it's just so yeah it's so well, easy it's just there and well, then you there. don't have to think about it like yeah um, three women out of a thousand will get pregnant when on the when on the implant. So, I mean, it's very good successful. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, the only thing is that uh, some people do, with any of the progesterone-only forms um, of contraception, you can have kind of irregular bleeding um, and spotting, which can be annoying to some people, frustrating. Um, and so the next one is also progesterone-only. It's the injection. So the one that we use here in Ireland is called the Depo-Provera Um it's a slow release um, injected into the muscle um, and it lasts 12 weeks. Um, they like to, um, it should be administered in the first five days of the period. Um, and we would have, first five days of your cycle, sorry. Um, and we would have women who would get this postnatally uh, before they go, before they go home. You know, women who feel that they need contraception straight away, um, which is great. Um, so it's not limited you know some of these um, you're limited you can't use them when you're breastfeeding but but the um, the injection is fine um, the only thing with it so it prevents ovulation um, and it, it can thicken the mucus as well it can take a year for your cycle to return when you've finished your course of the injection so if you if you you know if you're on it for a year or two um, and again it can cause irregular um bleeding and spotting doesn't you know it doesn't work for everyone and I think a lot of with a lot of the forms of, of contraception obviously there are restrictions on certain things who can get them and who who can't um but also then there's the kind of personal preference element yeah with a lot of none these of things. them are side effect free I suppose no so it's important to know which one is going to work best for you and yeah. your situation yeah that's it just the just the barrier methods or the old abstinence um I was looking around earlier for some advice about postnatal contraception mm. um, and on the UK Family Planning Association website and another website called brook.org mm-hmm. or Yeah, the Brook Clinic, whatever. yeah. Yeah, they had kind of these little contraceptive, contraception quizzes. Not quiz, like mm-hmm. yeah. you basically just go in and put in your gender, your sex, your gender, your age, um if you're in a long-term relationship, how frequently you're having sex, how frequently you're having unprotected sex, what you're trying to avoid by using your contraception. So on the UK family planning one, it was like, are you trying to avoid having any period at all? Are you trying to shorten your period? Are you trying to minimise pain? Are you trying to prevent pregnancy? So then it gave you at the end, like kind of, 
say seven of the most suitable things for what you're trying to achieve with your contraception, which I thought was really good because it wasn't just about having protected sex. It was also about, because lots of people would take a pill for period irregularity or heavy periods or that kind of thing. Mm. So I thought that was really good. That is um, very interesting. Um, so, So that's the injection. Um, the patch um, then is the next one. Um, so pr- the patch is progesterone and estrogen. So much like the combined oral contraception, which I'll talk a little bit more about in a minute. Um, so you, you, it's essentially like a plaster. You put on one per week um, and then you take a break after three weeks. You take a break of, of seven days um, after three weeks. Um and um, yeah, can be quite successful. The only issues is if it comes off within 24 hours of going on or if it comes off for more than 24 hours. Um, and obviously then if you miscalculate your days, your break days, you know, if you accidentally take an eight day break, then you need to use um, a second method of contraception for seven days and after that. Uh, the ring, so the Nuva ring is what we use. Uh, it's the only one available here in Ireland. And again, it's progesterone and estrogens combined. Um, and it's basically a small um, rubber ring that you put high up into the vagina. You bend it and you put it high up into the vagina and you just leave it there for three weeks. Um, and then you remove it again and take your week break. Um, so interesting. Um, I've never tried it. I had a friend who used, who used to use the ring and she loved it. Said it was great, um, but yeah, I, the Nova Ring is it? Isn't I only really realised yeah. when doing research for this episode that I'm a fair weather contraception user. <laughs> in that I've had the progesterone only pill, the combined pill, the patch, the ring. I've tried them all. A diaphragm, like yeah. just mainly because I hated taking the pill. That I was like, let's try this next. Let's try this <laughs> next. So I wasn't. I didn't mind the ring. Yeah quite comfortable it's kind of like a moon cup once you have it in there you don't really know it's there kind yeah. of thing yeah um you can however feel it a little bit when you're having sex yeah Which? you know my friend had one one time and it um fell out on the floor yeah like yeah kind of walking around <laughs> post <laughs> post post ride yeah oh okay there was a situation okay Again, I don't really know a huge amount of people. I like think it's, what's, it's, is a, you know, how popular is it? I don't know that it's that popular. When I used the ring or the patch, the good thing was is that you didn't have to remember to take anything every day. Mm. And that for the most part, say with the pill, that if you have any dietary yeah. issues, gastro, diarrhea, vomiting or on any of that, it, your dose isn't interrupted. Mm. Yeah. But the thing that I found with the patch is that it used to slide yeah. So like it wasn't coming off of my skin, but say I'd put it on my thigh, then like a few hours later, it would be like maybe a couple of centimeters lower. And because of where the adhesive was, yes. you'd get loads of like fluff stuck <laughs> around it. So it looked really, it didn't look great that you had like black fluff around yeah. this patch on your leg or your back or your bum or whatever. I was like, this isn't like conducive to me having a really good <laughs> Save sex because I look like a minger. But I was getting my dose of hormones. Yes. Yeah. And then the ring, it was just, I don't know why I stopped using it. I think I just wanted to stop using hormones altogether. Mm. But okay. It wasn't bad. Yeah. I, 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 I tried the injection um, for a while and um, I had constant spotting. 
with it, which when you're in a relatively new relationship and you're not that fond of period sex, it's not great. Yeah. Yes. You know, I mean, like, um, yeah. And even uh, so after my first dose, I went back 12 weeks later. I said, oh, I've had spotting all the time. And he said, um, oh, I'll give you a double dose. So he gave me two and it was it's a yeah, it's, it's not pleasant. Um, so he gave me a double dose and it didn't make it any better. Um, and I think I persevered for about nine months in total. So yeah. it's kind of three lots of it. Um, and it just it just was was, um, yeah, irritating then. Um so then I tried the progesterone only pill, which was which was fine. Mm. But the frustrating thing about it, I'll tell you about it now in, in detail. <laughs> I can't wait. So uh, the progesterone only pill or the mini pill um, thickens the mucus at the cervix to prevent sperm uh, from reaching the egg. Um, and sometimes it can prevent um, ovulation as well. So there's two types. Um, it's said to be over 99% effective, but it has to be taken at the same time every day. And particularly, there's two, so there's two types they use in Ireland, Naraday and Sarazet. The one that I was taking, you had th- a three hour window every day to take it in. So it's kind of quite restrictive, I guess, in that sense that you're not, you know, if you, for, if you forget to take it with your breakfast and you leave for work for the day, well, you've then essentially skipped a pill, mm. you know, and you have to be... Um, careful although um you only need to use um additional protection for two days when you've missed the pill on uh, you know on the progesterone only provided you've only missed one uh for some women their periods stop for others they have irregular bleeding or spotting um it can be used with with breastfeeding it can be used while breastfeeding um which is great um, and it may also help with um, PMT um, and the thing with the progesterone only pill is that for older women who need contraception um, it can be used kind of right up to menopause whereas with the um, combined oral contraception which is um, both oestrogen and progesterone um, really they only recommend it up to age 35 so you know, that's kind of a limiting factor. Almost at the cutoff point. Nearly. Nearly oh. there. Yeah, a few months, Amy. Um, <laughs> so so the combined oral contraception, um, it stops uh, the ovary releasing eggs and it thickens the cervical mucus. So it kind of puts the ovaries into sort of a sleep um, state. Um It's with perfect use, it's over 99% effective. Um, it's not suitable for everyone as with every type of um, contraception, there are, um, you know, people who are it's not suitable for. Um, so that's why it's really important when, particularly when you're starting something, to go and see your GP or your um, family planning nurse and, you know, find out what's right for you. And like, you, you know, you, you, the quiz sounds great. Yeah, it was yeah. really, really good. Yeah. Um, so... The thing with the two pills is that, yeah, as you say, if you have any gastro issues, if you've taken it and within a couple of hours you've vomited or you've you've had diarrhea, well, then you need to treat it like a like a missed pill. pill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in the news not too long ago. So so far this year, um, it it was announced in this part of the world, although I think it was kind of a practice in the States for the last few years um, that you do not have to take the break. So generally with the combined oral contraception, you take tablets for 21 days and then you take a break. The progesterone only pill, you take it continuously. There is no break. So, um, 
you would take the break with the combined oral contraceptive and you would have the breakthrough bleeding, this sort of false mm-hmm. period, um, which really is more of a sort of a cultural thing. We mm. expect to bleed. We feel that there's something wrong. It's if reassuring we, we as well. Bleed. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, even, though, even though in the back of your mind, you also know that it's not your period. It's a fake period, you know, but yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's actually not taking a break from your... Um, combined oral contraception makes it more effective because it means that you're not having the drop in the hormone level um, for the seven days when you when you take your break. Um, And also, if you take it continuously and you miss one, it's okay to miss up to seven pills and then restart again, because that's that's, like that's what you would have been doing. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Um, So, yeah, so that was the. information that I that I was looking at um and then just like it does um actually the the Irish family planning website is great it has it's lots really really of good so informative yeah um and you know people are often concerned about a risk between um contraceptives and cancer um and so what it says on there is that the information about it is very complex and very contradictory um so really they feel that it's not a link you know there are, there is not a link between between the two in like between taking a hormonal contraceptive and an increased risk of, of cancer. certain cancers yes okay yeah that's yeah. good to know um, and then I suppose um, other things worth um, mentioning. So, um, Roshin, you mentioned it before, lactation amenorrhea. Yeah. So um, postnatally, if you are fully breastfeeding um, and you have not had more than two days of continuous bleeding up until six months um, postnatally and you have always, you've been with your baby for every feed, um, then you have, are kind of 98% covered um in terms of in terms of pregnancy um but yeah like i always think the lactation amenorrhea you kind of have to take it with a with a pinch of salt you know yeah and just you know just to so i was just doing a little bit of research about postnatal contraception for Mm. after baby and it's like exclusive breastfeeding only like as in you have to feed your baby every time your baby is looking for a feed yeah. and never skip a feed or replace a feed with formula. Yeah, and, and, um, and no expressing either. To keep no. your hormone levels at the correct level yes. for you not to ovulate. So the big thing with postnatal contraception is that you can ovulate within three weeks of having your baby, but you don't get your period. Mm-hmm. So you can conceive immediately after having a baby yeah. without knowing that you've ovulated because obviously there's a lot going on and you might not maybe get mm. symptoms of ovulation like you normally would if you do at all after having a baby. So on the NHS website it said that lactational amenorrhea should only be used with exclusive breastfeeding mm. only and should not be continued to be used as your form of contraception if your baby is more than six months old, if you've given them anything else apart from breast milk, including a soother mm-hmm. formula oh, wow. or solid food, yes. if your periods have started again, even light spotting counts, mm. if you stop your night feeds, if you start to breastfeed less often, so if you're giving eliminating a feed or you're... Um, increasing your spaces between your breastfeeds yeah. um, or there are longer intervals between feeds both during the day and at night. Yeah, it's... So it's, it's like you'd want to be 
it's not reliable. Yeah. Really. You know, it's not something that you could you could really rely on. Um, and uh, the other thing then that we were going to mention as well is the Natural Cycles mm-hmm. um, app, which you've used that, Amy? Yeah, I have. Um, not very successfully. Uh, not that I... <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? <laughs> no, that's not a pregnancy <laughs> announcement. Um, no, I think it's a really, really good... It's a really good app. Basically, it just... you. I suppose the prerequisites are that you have to have a regular cycle. Mm. Um, and you... I suppose it would work... It works well for people, I think, who are on a regular kind of normal pattern of sleep. Um, if you have, if you sleep two hours more or two hours less per night, then that will affect your temperature. And it's basically based on your temperature and the very small spike in temperature that you have when you ovulate. So, I mean, it's essentially going by your ovulation cycle. Um, so uh, this is what would be known as the rhythm method, right? Um, is that the rhythm yeah. 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 Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Yeah. I didn't think the temperature thing came into the rhythm method. Well, the rhythm method is more, I suppose you're going, people wouldn't have been taking their temperature yeah. as such, but you're going by your, basically what the rhythm you of your, your cycle. What you think your ovulation days are. Yeah. yeah. So obviously the days leading up to when you're going to ovulate and when you've ovulated are classed as red days. And then the more the more data that you input, so the more temperatures that you take, um, it gets you to take ovulation tests as well. You mm. input everything and then it gives you red days and green days. Um, so, yeah, and I know other people who use it and absolutely love it. Um, it can then be used when you're trying to plan for a pregnancy. You just basically change and it changes your your red oh, days, your red days. Yeah. Okay, that's them cool. um, yeah so it is really good I mean obviously one of the things that the makers say themselves is it's obviously it doesn't prevent against STIs as none of the hormonal methods that we've discussed yeah. have either um, and also that it's probably will be used I suppose we're probably the perfect age bracket mm. um, in that maybe people who are potentially planning a pregnancy in the future like that's essentially who their demographic is, not necessarily someone who never wants to have a baby. Yes. Ever. Like, yeah. I don't think that would be. Yeah, because I mean, there have been a number of, of pregnancies and they sort of, you know, um, people sort of flagged it and said to the, you know, the makers of the app, well, you know, oh my God, I got pregnant using your app. And well, you got pregnant having unprotected sex. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, like yeah, it, is, good, it is. Great distinction there. It is a possibility, yeah. you know. Um it's like everything. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's like everything. Nothing is foolproof. But if you don't want to use hormonal contraception, you yeah. don't use condoms, you're in, you know, or you're having sex with one person. Yeah. I think it's, I, I do think it's re- it's worth investigating for sure. Yeah. Definitely. And I think on that note as well, like it is worth noting that every, on that note is worth noting, sorry, every, <laughs> every woman of childbearing age who is sexually active, what a phrase, um, should be taking folic acid just in case they do become pregnant, you know, if they're, you know, even if you're taking birth, birth control or, you know, um, it's worth doing. Although now that we have more choice here in Ireland, I suppose that, you know, that sort of harks back to a time when um, if you had an unwanted pregnancy, it was very difficult to deal with. But if you have an unplanned pregnancy that you are happy to continue with, you know, many women will say, oh, God, I wish I was taking the folic acid before I got pregnant. So it's no harm to. I to think take. I didn't. I did a, an assignment on that. Basically, they were trying to roll that out in the States and 
if you're lo- like, I don't know, I find it a bit problematic because then you're kind of saying to yourself that we're basically all just in the state of pre-pregnancy. Yeah, well, that'd be absolutely That's the fair thing. enough. But yeah. I suppose, but if you are a person where it's coming down the line and you may not be being 100% yeah. careful, you might be turning a few blind eyes. Yeah. <laughs> um... And then the last thing that I was going to talk about was emergency contraception. Um, so sorry now, let me just rifle through my notes. Rifle, 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 <laughs> rifle, 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 rifle. Um, okay, so uh, there are two types of emergency contraception available. Um, <coughs> so there's hormonal um, and then the intrauterine, we mentioned already, the, the copper coil can be used for, for emergency um, contraception. So... Um, Hormonal, um, levon, levonorgestrel, uh, or also known as Prevanil, um, is used, um, it's progesterone, um, it's available, um, from your pharmacist, um, uh, so yeah, so you can go, you can go, if you have, um, unprotected sex or if your method of contraception um, if it was maybe a barrier method has failed you or if you've missed some pills and you've and you've had sex and you feel you need emergency contraception, you can go and speak to your your pharmacist. Um, ideally, I mean, basically as soon as possible, mm-hmm. um, ideally within within um, 72 hours, but can be up to um, five days, 120 hours. Um, and then the other type is UPA. Um, so that is, um, a single dose. Um, so basically they will give you, uh, the pills without a prescription. It's kind of like a pharmacist, um, prescription. Um, and then you take those. So there are, um, as with everything, there are certain, um, contraindications. So, you know, different, um, health problems, um <clears throat> sorry excuse me what's the failure rate uh with the prevenel uh 1.5 to 2.5% pregnancy rate up to 72 hours 5.5% up to 120 hours um which interestingly is the same as no treatment that's how likely you are to get pregnant now whether that's on a random day in your cycle or whether that's the day that you're ovulating I you know I don't I don't know okay I obviously I'm I hope it's possibly higher when you're when you're ovulating um UPA has shown super efficiency uh efficacy um to uh, the Prevenel in trials even within the first um 24 hours um so it's more effective more effective the sooner you get it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you don't really want to be hanging around, I think. Just no. get in there. Yeah. Get it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. You know. Although, like, you know, sometimes I I remember a friend of mine um, a long time ago now, um, she went out on a date, she had sex with a guy. That was like a Saturday night. And then on a Monday afternoon, we were both in work together and she came out of the toilet and she said, oh my God, a condom is after falling out of me. So she had obviously had a few, um, she had had sex a few times with this guy uh, between the Saturday and the Sunday. Um, and at, at some point in time, a condom was left inside. Oh, that's awful. Um, so yeah, I mean, she was so panicked. She was so worried. We went straight to the pharmacy um, after work together. 
Um, and she, you know, she got the she got the emergency contraception. But she was so worried, and everything was fine. But yeah, like you know, it, she would have gone Sunday morning had she realized, or even Monday yeah, morning had she realized. Yeah. But in that instance, and it would hang over you then until you get your period. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, that's hard. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah. So you you go. Um. You know, as soon as you can, basically. Um. And the IFPA are open at weekends, but. That is harking back to a time when you have to go to the IFPA that I remember on a Sunday morning panic. Well, I think it is still a little <laughs> bit challenging in some places in Ireland yes. to walk in on any day of the week and get an emergency contraceptive. Yeah. I certainly remember from some conversation I had or something I was at during the repeal campaign that some women were saying that they simply would not be... Mm-hmm given the emergency contraceptive in yeah. the pharmacy in their local town. Yeah. So they're kind of stuck. Yeah. And I'm sure there are even pharmacies in the big cities that w- yeah. will still. Yeah. Um, actually, a friend of mine at the moment, um, she's going to the GP next week. She has a rash on her breast. She told me she listened to our breast episode and she said, I'm going straight to the GP. So she has an, epi- uh, an appointment with the GP in a few days. And I said to her, would you maybe just go and show it to a pharmacist? And just get a cream. So the cream that I'm using on it isn't really helping the rash that much. And she said, I said, would you go to the pharmacy and just, you know, talk to a pharmacist about it? She said, yeah, but I'm not going to the one in the village. I'll go to the one in the next town. She said, I'm not showing powder my baps. (laughs) 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 Quote, unquote. Yeah. Um, Pharmacists are great, but I, yeah, I probably wouldn't be going in necessarily exposing my breasts to one. Yeah. Let's let that hang there. (laughs) (laughs) I was giving that some serious consideration. I mean, they're healthcare professionals just like us us. at the end of the day. So if someone walked in the door and were like, here, what's this thing hanging off me? We would be very respectful and dignified and take it seriously. So I would hope that a pharmacist would be the same. But I suppose... Well, I suppose just like a midwife or a doctor, you run the risk of getting someone very young or maybe if you're not comfortable with someone of the opposite gender. But... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just think pharmacists are amazing. I have so much time for, for they they see so much. They know so much about so many different things. Yeah, one hundred percent. And for me, I always think it's the first port of call. Um, and as an aside about pharmacists, a friend of mine is dating a girl over in the UK, a woman who. Um, is a pharmacist and she works in GP practices over there. When you go to your GP, um, you know, maybe you're not a, you don't go in there all the time for a repetitive medical issue. But if you go into your GP for something, you see the pharmacist first and then they will decide, do you actually need to see the GP or can they advise you on what you can do. Now, I don't know if that's in every single practice over there, but certainly that is what her practice is. It's interesting. Which I thought was, yeah, really interesting. Um, but basically what happens with the um, emergency contraceptive is it um, will kind of bring on your, your period um, a little bit earlier. Um, I took it, I took it once um, and it, they, the, just didn't kind of make it really very clear to me as to how much earlier, do you know? And when I was reading the leaflet um, in the box, I felt, oh yeah, okay. I, I just sort of felt to myself, oh grand, it'll, my period will come like a couple of days earlier and I might have been, I'd say it was maybe 10 days into my cycle. So I wasn't kind of expecting my period anytime soon. Um, so then about four days later, I went to electric picnic. 
um, not really expecting anything to happen. And it all happened at Electric Picnic. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Isn't that just the worst time ever to have (laughs) a period? Yeah. (laughs) Poor Luz. Yeah. 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 Poor Luz So, yeah, so it... um, it can. It's so basically, yeah. You you can kind of expect it um, within a week, basically. I think for for okay. for the emergency. For some people as well, I've heard that it can also just be delayed. That it's not necessarily. I know a couple of people who've taken it, and they've said that it just um, altered their cycle, and then you know. So that is another thing to you know. If you yeah, don't absolutely. get it, just to kind of keep an eye. But it can just be that it just sends it all a little bit off kilter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that's is that enough that's plenty of information isn't it that is. yeah. contraception it's very informative just um, briefly in terms of other postnatal contraception thingies mm-hmm. um, as you were saying Tara they're starting to do the um, coil yeah the IUD um, immediately at your cesarean section but for other women who've had a vaginal birth they technically can be inserted um, 48 hours post birth um, but most healthcare professionals are probably recommending waiting at least four weeks. Yeah. So I tend to advise women on the postnatal ward that if they're considering a coil, that they could mention it to their GP when they bring the baby to the GP for the two-week check yes, and get the prescription for the coil then and go and collect it and have it with them for their six-week checkup, which most women are going for at their GP. Um Immediate contraceptives after having a baby, which you said are the implant, the injection, the progesterone-only pill and male or female condoms. Mm. Within three to six weeks, you can start the combined pill mm. Um, you start using a vaginal ring um, or a patch. And then you should wait six weeks or more to use a diaphragm or a cap. That's just because... Everything's kind of stretched and moved and changed that you want to come back to your kind of original size Mm -hmm. so that it's fitting you appropriately. And you should be aware that you may need to be refitted for a diaphragm or a cap after having a baby. Okay, but that's all. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing we were talking about, actually, between ourselves was the introduction of the male pill. Yes. So what do people feel about that? Um, I don't really know an awful lot about it. Yeah, so there's been one small study done so far um, where they took um, participants. It was only about a month long. They took 40 participants for 28 days. Um, 10 got a placebo and then the uh, remaining participants um, each got a different dose of the same um, male pill. Um, And what it aims to do is reduce the hormones responsible for producing sperm. Now, let me just double check. I think it's LH... And FSH, yeah, so um, luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone. So the aim of the male pill is to reduce those hormones responsible for producing sperm, however, um, without um, sacrificing the other maleness elements. So um, male pattern, um, hair growth, deep voice, sex drive and function and a lean body mass. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I actually just in my head heard yeah. that and I yeah. love that the male pill is so concerned yeah. with maintaining yes. men's sex drive, etc, yes. etc. Et and all of the women's contraceptions are like, you may bleed irregularly, you yeah. may have increased pain, you may have reduced sex drive, you Absolutely. may suffer from depression. It's like, like yes. fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, it's the most tailor-made. <laughs> like, it's just so, everything is just, we're trying to alleviate symptoms here. God forbid like, you they ever don't have any fucking sex drive. symptoms. Oh, listen, it gets, it gets better. <laughs> Some um, four to six men experienced um, headaches, fatigue or acne. Oh, no. <laughs> and five, pet. five experienced a mildly decreased libido and two had mild erectile dysfunction. Very distressing. Say so they pulled Absolutely. a study immediately <laughs> upon hearing that. No um, further testing required. We have yeah. two men down. Okay, the next sentence in the article. Similar side effects have hampered other experimental male contraceptives. <laughs> yes. Two men down. Um, okay, so basically what they know at the moment about it from this short study is that at the end of this 28 days the hormones appeared to be reducing um, that the men did not experience um, very unusual side effects you know what's a very unusual side effect growing an Your extra nose falling off exactly yeah there you go <laughs> um, and so it is deemed safe for further trials um, however they think that to really you know, prevent the production of sperm, uh, that it's going to take minimum 60 to 90 days to see an effect in that before you actually reach like a contraceptive level, a contraceptive uh, like, effect. I mean, they're making it as difficult as possible, I would say. Yeah, exactly. Steve, would you take it? Hang on now, like that's such infancy. If it was deemed safe, if it was in place, if it was deemed safe, no, you'd want something that is that works. Okay, if it was if it was working, if it was in place, and if it was if you were gonna be contraceptively safe in say ten days. Well and you had to take one pill a day. One pill a day. If I were a female, I would question taking the pill as a female because of the side effects straight up. Most people don't question that. Yeah, interesting, Steve. Mm-hmm. Tried everything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now I use nothing. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's really hard not to be like an all men feminist mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I read this really interesting thread on Twitter recently, which basically was like every single unplanned, unwanted pregnancy is the responsibility of irresponsible ejaculation <laughs> on a man's behalf. <laughs> yeah. Because if you think about it, women could be having all the fun in the world and never become pregnant Yes, if it wasn't for men being irresponsible about where and how they ejaculate. So, like, in one hand, you're like, yes, the male pill, they should, like, why shouldn't there be a male pill? Why shouldn't men be taking a pill? Blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, I, the all-man all feminist in me is like, they would never take it mm-hmm. because they're like in that sense, because they're they're not in, in they the same position as women. They have the luxury yes. of questioning it, whereas we're told from day dot mm. that we're going to have to take yeah. a contraceptive and or use your a contraceptive method. Yeah. And like every woman I know when they reached 18 was like, right, I'm going to have to get myself on the pill if they mm. weren't on it already with mm. the help of their mother or sister or friend. Yeah, very true. Sorry, that was my rant over. <laughs> no, I think I share your sentiments, to be mm. honest. Yeah. My yeah. sister did once go on an extremely all-men feminist rant at me and she said, if vasectomies are so reversible, they should just do them to baby boys and then nobody would have to worry. <laughs> But I was like, that's slightly, that's slightly over the top. Yeah, 
Yeah, somewhat. But it would, like, wouldn't it be amazing if you could just do something like that? And then you that press was a side button. effect free for men or for women. Yeah. That you could just like press a pause button and then you wouldn't have to worry until you were ready to press play again for pregnancy yeah. related issues, but obviously not for STDs. Oh, yeah. It's just a minefield. It is a minefield, which brings us on to... Nice um, segue. A nice little segue there, yeah. You're welcome. Into STIs. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of information, which I'll try and condense. You don't, you don't have to condense. Yeah. We're all here to learn. We're all here to learn. Okay, so basically in Ireland last year, um, there was a 7% overall rise in STIs. That was in 2018. That's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. Um, so I'm just going to go over the main ones Um I was going to say the most popular, the most, the most common, the most common. Um, sorry, I've just dropped my sheet. And Amy, um, am I right in thinking that the group rising the fastest, no pun intended, in the STI stakes are the over 50s? Um, well, actually, the majority of or STIs potentially rising, but mm-hmm. I mean, at the moment, the majority would be <coughs> the 20 to 29 yeah. year bracket. Okay. Um, and the 15 to 24 year old bracket as well has a really high rate mm-hmm. but potentially from before I'd actually have to look up the exact numbers but I know um, for certain ones definitely that was yeah that was seen so the most common um, so these most of these statistics I'm giving are from 2018 and they're from the HSE from the Health Protection Surveillance Centre so it's really good if you if anyone has any interest to go on because Unlike most of kind of studies and statistics, they're actually very easy to understand. Yeah. You know, um, so chlamydia last year, there was 7,937 cases in Ireland, 50% male, 50% women. So that's mm. the only one where it's an even split. And 49% of all cases were for people aged between 15 and 24. Mm. So chlamydia is bacterial infection. It's you can catch it from unprotective penetrative sex um, using unwashed sex toys. And then um, it can be passed from mother to baby during Mm. delivery if the mother is untreated. So the main thing about chlamydia is that it's mainly symptomless. So in men, half of men will have absolutely no symptoms. And in women, 70% of women will have no symptoms at all. Mm. So the problem with chlamydia if it's left untreated for women it can cause obviously you know major fertility problems down the line Mm -hmm. due if it kind of goes up through your genital tract your fallopian tubes your uterus so you know scar tissue can um either make it more difficult for you to get pregnant or if you do get pregnant it can increase your risk of an ectopic pregnancy which is a pregnancy that's outside of the uterus so some kind of problem symptoms to look out for in men it would be discharge pain discomfort um women bleeding uh pain during sex pain painful urination and offensive discharge Mm. so it's diagnosed either in urine tests um or swabs as well Um, so in pregnancy all women under the age of 25 Mm -hmm. would be screened at booking visit not in every not in every not in every hospital no No. okay no wow oh I didn't realise that so um, that is something I suppose if you're under 25 and 
you're pregnant, that is something you can ask for. It's very easily, it's something it's that's very urine, easy to test for. It's test. just a urine test. Yeah, it's one in 10, under, one in 10 people under 25, isn't it? Has chlamydia. It's, well, they've, wow, that's a lot. I suppose, I don't know if that exact, well, 49% will be aged between 15 and 24. Yeah. So, yeah. and generally really speaking, then when, if you've been diagnosed at your booking visit, which is usually around 14-ish weeks of pregnancy and you're treated, you'll have a test of cure after that. Yeah. And if that's negative, there's no effect to your baby. No effect to your baby at all. No. And it's, that's the thing. So chlamydia is one of the easiest ones to treat. So yeah. it's basically a once off dose of antibiotic. Um, if you have it, it's really important that you let your partner know. I'll discuss more about how to do that later. Um, and then it's important, obviously, that both of you are uh, treated and then tested again before you resume having intercourse. So the next most common then is gonorrhea. So in 2018, there was 2,406 cases. So this was predominantly men, um, 84% male and 16% women. Mm. Um, 40% of the cases were with uh, men who have sex with other men. Uh, 23% heterosexuals and 38% is unknown. So they just, because obviously all of these are reported, but yes. not all of the data exists. Uh, so... <clears throat> Gonorrhea is transmissible from unprotective penetrative sex, um, rimming, so that's licking someone's anus, mm-hmm. um, unwashed sex toys, and um, is there any other way? And through delivery as well. So it can be transmitted from mother to baby during delivery. Okay. So quite often... Um, you can get infections as well. So gonorrhea, you, you can have it in your rectum, in your pharynx. That's if you're participating in anal sex, oral sex. Mm. Um, and that can often kind of go, yeah, you know, without symptoms. Um, in men, the main things to look out for are discharge or liquid coming from the tip of the penis. Um, something that was, I heard once, unaffectionately described as drippy Mickey. Oh, <laughs> so nice. Drippy Mickeys are not good no. and need to be. Nobody wants a drippy Mickey. Nobody wants a drippy, drippy Mickey. Um, so <clears throat> 70% of women have no symptoms. And That's mad. 10% of I, men I have none either. I went for an ice cream once the GP was like, if you had gonorrhea, you would know about it. It's extremely painful. No, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah interesting. I know. Yeah. And that's what they say. So I suppose women can have no symptoms and then they can pass it on to men. But obviously men, 90% of men will have symptoms. Yeah. So um, again, similar to chlamydia, if left untreated, it can affect your fertility mm. and um, increase your risk of ectopic pregnancies. So generally speaking, this is treated with two um, antibiotics. So an injection of antibiotics and then followed by tablets mm-hmm. then herpes uh, herpes simplex virus HSV is what it's otherwise known as so there were 1591 cases 73% of those were female and 27% were male so this mm-hmm. is kind of this is the one that has the majority this is the only one really where fem- women have um, yeah. the most amount so there's two types of herpes simplex virus type 1 is generally associated with herpes, herpes of your face yeah oral herpes or cold sores mm-hmm. and type 2 is um, generally associated with genital herpes or anogenital herpes is mm-hmm. kind of another name that you'll find it called can um, you get yes one or the other 
Like, can you get too orally, if you get me? If someone um, has HSV too and you're giving them unprotected oral sex, can you contract it orally or...? You can, yes. Yes, yes. You, can. Okay. you can, yeah. Yeah, so one can give the other, but typically speaking, it's you're more likely to get, yeah, you're yeah, not yeah. as likely okay. to get genital from oral, but but it can happen. Yeah. So that's why, obviously, if you have a cold sore, even though it's a different strain, yeah. you should still avoid giving someone oral sex yeah. while you have it. Um, and equally, if you're about to give oral sex to someone and you see something, a lesion, Exactly. If you see something Run that away. looks unusual. <laughs> That's why it's always handy to kind of take your phone torch out and just <laughs> fully assess Would the genitals. Would you tell someone if you were having sex with them and you saw something? I'd like to think that I would. I think you have the right to kind of question and say, yeah. what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you grow on cauliflower. What's, what's uh, going yeah. on down there? I would imagine it's very difficult to say to someone in the moment, like, absolutely. there's something going on there. Absolutely, yeah. But as you say, Amy, like, you have the right to protect yeah, yourself. Yeah. And if you don't want to say something, then if you're not happy to say something, then just maybe just scoot do, away do from the area. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Out the bathroom window. Um, yeah, that's not a reason. <laughs> An awkward reason to bail on a date. So um, you can catch it from skin to skin contact, from kissing, uh, vaginal and anal sex and oral sex as well. So outbreaks usually occur two to 12 days after contact. And, you know, generally they'd start off, I suppose, if you imagine the way a cold sore looks on your face and mm. um, kind of smallish red bumps that can turn crusty. And then you can kind of have these other things that look like tiny, small, little white ulcers as mm. well. Um, so... If you have it, the way that they test for it, obviously you'd go in and someone would have a look. Um, generally speaking, people who are experienced are able to see, very able to diagnose it very quickly. very quickly. They also will probably take a swab and then, um, but they wouldn't necessarily wait for the swab to come back. They would usually just start you on an antiviral treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, you want to wait until everything has cleared up until you finished your full course of treatment before you would be engaging. Yeah in any sexual activities. And important to say, if you know you've had herpes in the past, but they're not active, it's important to disclose that if you're having a baby. Absolutely. Um, Definitely, yes. In case they recur in pregnancy, and especially around the time of delivery, that obviously they can be passed on to your baby then. Yeah. Yeah, and particularly, I mean, you're immunocompromised when you're you're pregnant. So you are more likely to have a flare-up in pregnancy. Yeah. Um, It's generally speaking not overly concerning if it's your, if it's a... Subsequent. Subsequent. Yes. um, Not infection. uh, Outbreak. Outbreak, Outbreak, yeah. Um, But particularly if it's your first outbreak during your pregnancy, you should tell your midwife or your doctor. ASAP. And they'll do bloods to confirm... Um, whether it's a primary outbreak or, yeah, or, or a subsequent Yeah, whether one. you have immunity. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then the next most common is HPV, which, so it's, well, it's genital warts that are caused by HPV. So they're either genital warts or anogenital warts. So um, last year, how many people, 1,281 people were diagnosed. That's in 2017. They don't have the latest information available. Okay. So HPV is human papillovirus. Um, it's caused, it's basically transmitted from close contact, penetrative sex, um, sex toys, heavy petting. 
a phrase I don't really like using. <laughs> I don't know why I'm using Excellent it. Touching phrase. heavy penny. I love that phrase. Sex. Do you? Yeah. It um, signifies nothing about what's going what's on. What's going on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just extreme touching. Um, so 90% of us will be exposed to HPV. 90% of people are sexually active will be exposed. And most people will clear it within two years um, of first coming into contact. Mm-hmm. So one in 10 will be left with an infection. So it, that's kind of how common it is. Yeah. Um, mm. So there's actually no, if you are tested for it and you have it, there isn't actually a treatment for it because no. it's just and the advice that you're going so to just strains. pass it. There's 180 strains. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. So You know the line from, you remember the show Girls? All adventurous women do. She had HPV. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All adventurous women do. <laughs> so of the 180 strains, there's 40 which affect... Um, the genitals, the rectum and the throat. And of those 40, 12 of those carry a risk of cancer. Mm-hmm. So the two main cancer-causing strains are strain 16, which causes half of all cancers, mm-hmm. and then strain 18, which causes 20% of all cancers. So um, HPV would cause 420 cancers a year, um, 335 of these would be women and 85 would be men. Mm-hmm. So, and of those again, then 300 would be um, cervical cancer and 90 of those of them will die, very sadly. So, gosh, yeah. Yeah, so awful. it's a high, when you it's hear a high proportion. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. So, strains six and 11 are the ones that um, carry the warts, basically. Mm-hmm. So, if you have them, um, so one in 10 people will carry strains 6 and 11, mm. but only one in 100 of those will go on to develop warts. Okay. Okay. So That's that, a lot less than I would have thought. I think that kind of speaks more of the sheer volume of people who actually carry, carry HPV. Yeah, true. Then, you know, because it still is, I suppose, 1,200 people is still... You know, and, that, when that, and that's 1,200 new diagnoses, new diagnoses in, t- in yeah. 2017. Yeah. You know, because you also have everyone else who has genital warts living with genital warts for all that, you know, all that time. Yeah. You know, who have been diagnosed previously or that. That was actually, so one of our questions on Dear Fanny was, um, is HPV sexually transmitted? So it is, yes, it is sexually transmitted, but it is not necessarily because not all people who have HPV will require treatment. So it's not necessarily classed as an infection. Not in the same way of like the chlamydias or gonorrheas. So um, it's very, genital warts are treatable. They're either topical creams, Mm -hmm. um, cryotherapy, where they're essentially kind of frozen off off or (laughs) surgery. Um, So it can take, treatment can take four to 16 weeks. So I suppose how to avoid, obviously, if you, you know, if you have them on your person, you would try and avoid having sexual intercourse. Mm -hmm. Um, Condoms don't necessarily work in this case because they're not, Typically on yeah, your so actual, well, because they're on your labia, they're on your labia, like that yeah, as well yeah. around yeah. your penis. You're not penis. covering yeah. all of the area, really. Exactly, yeah. you're not able to fully cover it. A female condom may help a little bit more. Uh, the outer ring of the female condom comes around, uh, kind of the outside of the labia. It's quite big on the outside. You're really selling these now. I'm really. <laughs> <laughs> if only I could get my hands started on making your own or something. <laughs> <laughs> We just um, need to come up with a better name. Yeah, but yeah, but they, they may help. But again, it depends on the location of them. And as you say, it's better just to wait 
until they're gone. Yeah. Tara here with Fanny's Fuck Ups. Um, we were feeling the pinch for time, so we didn't get a chance to discuss the HPV vaccination. Just to say that the vaccination covers um, the main cancer-causing strains of HPV. Um, and that we support the use of the vaccination. If you look at the models in Australia, you will see the drastic reduction um, in um, cancers caused by HPV. Um, and we also support the rollout uh, to males as well. Um, this is something that we hope to discuss further in a later episode of Yonic Boom um, with an expert working in the field. I think most, well, you would hope that most people who would have an active sexually transmitted infection or disease would refrain from unprotected sex. Don't count on most people. Well, I know. Yeah, that's like, Don't. that's the thing. Yeah. It's very hard. Yeah. To, like, I just couldn't imagine putting someone else in that position and not telling them yeah okay so moving on um the next kind of most prevalent was hepatitis c mm -hmm. so i have included this as but the only thing i will say about hepatitis c is that actually only 10 percent of hepatitis c cases were or from sexual yeah. from sexually transmitted um were sexually transmitted and the majority of those 10 percent were made up by heterosexual people um, two thirds of people with hepatitis C it's people who inject drugs um, so obviously using kind of dirty needles um, and needle which is a growing you know basically like there's obviously growing um, numbers research then to provide kind of clean injection centres yeah. in the city yeah. to yeah. try and reduce this absolutely yeah. um, there's new treatment in the form of um, direct action, uh, direct action antiviral drugs. So these can basically be ninety five percent effective. So it's really good. So there's a lot of changes yeah. um, in medication that's available. That's great. Then in hepatitis, sorry, in HIV, um, we had discussed the prep. Mm -hmm. um, so twenty eighteen, I suppose one of the reasons I think that prep really. Um, was pushed this year was because there was an 8% rise. Wow. Wow. So that lot. was in 2018. Yeah, given, I suppose, all of overall the education. Overall or in particular group? So that was overall. So there was an 8% increase. So the 528 people were um, diagnosed in 2018. Or these were the notifications, sorry. So 79% were male. 21% um, female, 32% had already previously been diagnosed in another country. Okay, so that is okay. a major factor. So yeah, obviously like okay. our increasing migration rates do yeah, yeah, obviously yeah. impact. Actually, just out of curiosity, do you know if PrEP is going to be available to anyone who wants it or just more, say, high risk groups? Gotcha. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I just, think you know the way you yeah. sometimes hear that statistic that... Um, heterosexual women are, yeah, some in some instances supersede the numbers of men having sex with men mm -hmm. who are contracting new HIV. So then you would would you think women would want to take prep? Well, it, so my understanding of it is that prep will be available to people whose partner is HIV, HIV positive. positive. I don't think so. That if you, if you are having regular sex with somebody who is HIV positive, then you will take prep to prevent. How would you prove that? Um, it, it, the 
they w- it would become available to those people through um so the say if I was attending the yeah it's the health clinic center. that you're the health center if that I, you're if I was attending yeah. the health center with so like HIV. it's not going to be say like going to for a woman going to the GP for a form of contraception like a person isn't going to be able to go to their doctor and say I want to start taking prep no it's more for um people the um people who are infected with with HIV they attend um mm. centers so like centers of excellence and like certain GPs will look after them in certain counties um and make sure that all their needs are met and as part of that for their partners they will be able to access a prep program I don't know how I feel about that. Um, equally, I suppose the Sex Workers Alliance are obviously. So I was also, just going to say, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so there are. Um, Would they be obviously sex workers who are, yeah, considered a higher risk group? Will yeah, will that's have what I access. mean. Like yeah, um, but I think, um, probably many sex workers already take prep. Um, yeah. Because there is a certain amount of prep available in the country now. Mm. Um, but it's kind of on an ad hoc basis and whether they have to whether sex workers have to pay for it or not at the moment I actually don't know um, interesting but but yeah I guess yeah the sex workers alliance will um, will gain better access to it if so they don't say already have it so men who are having sex with men not involved in a long term partnership won't necessarily have access to prep no not that's what uh, I thought I thought that was I no, think maybe that's my misunderstanding maybe, I thought that's the point of it was no maybe they will um I, I I don't know I don't know enough about it to be honest um although if you right now are a man having sex with a man or a man having sex with men um not necessarily in a long-term relationship you can access prep yourself but you have to not pay for it yeah 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 of course yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. um so it's an interesting change anyway towards a more inclusive it's absolutely society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's great so and 48% so men who have sex with men accounted for 48.5% mm. of the cases mm. yeah. so that is they're a high, you high know, risk group they're obviously. the highest group yeah, yeah they're the highest risk group um, I suppose this, the beginnings of a programme yes open the door then for an expansion of a programme yeah that's it and I guess it's only been in the news this week there hasn't been the full details so hopefully yeah, yeah. well I expect you to know everything about it already Tara <laughs> um, okay well they said that approximately 530 people <laughs> per year are diagnosed oh, and over a five year period about 173 <laughs> cases will be prevented in five years thank you very much thank you Tara that's what I know um, then Okay, so for hepatitis B, there were 532 reports in 2017. There was no mm. 2018 um, available. And the vast majority of those were people with chronic infection. Um, so hepatitis B is vaccine preventable. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously any babies that are born um, to mothers who have hepatitis B, um, they will be given the vaccinations at or birth. Fathers. And it's or fathers and it's now um, it's, in the it's now in the vaccination program, program yeah now. but those babies get it earlier yeah yeah, they're obviously higher risk yeah um, but then I suppose sex workers um, healthcare workers yep. um, men having sex with men or people who are deemed in higher risk groups would be vaccinated similarly with hepatitis A mm-hmm. um, which the numbers of that are dropping um it's kind of mainly seen in men who have sex with men mm-hmm. as it's shared in your feces. Yeah. So basically kind of people in engaging in anal sex. Anal sex. Yeah. And it can even, um, 
yeah, you can you can contract it orally from feces. Tara here with another one of Fanny's fuck ups. So at the moment, we can't find confirmation of who will fall into the higher risk category in order to receive the prep um, when the government rolls out their program. Um, the report from HICWA should be available to the Minister for Health at the end of May 2019 um, and we will uh, find out what we can as soon as we can and get this information out. Thanks. So as I said there are other STIs but those I suppose are the main ones. There mm-hmm. are other ones I looked up but the you know the numbers are the prevalence is quite low. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of screening so where to have an STI screen um it's free. Yes. All around that's really Ireland. That's a really, really important thing to note. So obviously there are private clinics where you can go in, you can pay around 120 to 150, but it is free. I mean, obviously the benefit of doing somewhere that's private is that it's a little bit more at your convenience. But um, if it's free, there's clinics that are open to the public. You go in, it's a ticketed system. And when you go in, you are going to have to take undertake a quiz you know you need to answer you know you need to answer honestly it's all confidential there's nothing that people haven't seen before yeah um you'll then have to do some blood tests if you're a woman you'll have a speculum examination and they'll take some swabs from your vagina um if you are engaging men or women engaging in anal or oral sex then we'll have swabs Mm -hmm. taken from their rectum or from their throat um There'll be a urine test. If you are having your urine tested, um, they say you need to wait at least two hours because otherwise some things won't necessarily show up or some urine tests may be... As in have a, try and have a full bladder for two hours. Try and have a full hours. bladder for two hours before okay. you give it. Yeah, and catch um, the, first, the first bit of urine that of comes out. Urine. Yeah. So as opposed to when you're doing a urine sample for your GP or for, you know, for a UTI or, or in the hospital... And we, we often ask women to catch the middle bit of their pee. When you're doing a UTI screen, you want the first bit. Good to know. Perfect. Mm. Um, and somebody will also have a look at your genitals and inspect and see if there's anything there. Yep. So some results will be available on the day. Um, and then the majority of results take around two weeks to come back. Mm. So if you're a person who is extremely nervous about going to a health facility healthcare facility to have a test done there are home testing kits available but then equally if something does come back positive you will have to kind of engage with health services so it's probably just better to go yourself Mm. but I understand for some people it's just too much or they physically don't have time like they physically will never be able to take time off work so there are testing kits available at home but you know they're a little bit more expensive yeah, yeah. That's good to know that the option is there yeah. um, because there would be some people as well who may have a past history of maybe sexual assault, you know, or something like that, mm. that they don't want, they don't feel that they can, you know, partake in, in a test like that. But I guess then the onus is on them if they do get a positive if as they stay do, exactly. and then to yeah, follow it up. Um, and then, I mean, I suppose if you, you know, if you do have them and as we've seen, it's it's really common, I suppose you just... You're the person who's treating you is treating this as a healthcare issue as yeah. opposed to a sexual healthcare issue. It's you know you need to try and view it as part of your part of health. your overall health exactly, and try not to 
I suppose it's difficult. It's easier said than done. People can be very hard on be, themselves, yeah, I think, exactly. when they have a sexually mm. transmitted infection. Mm. Like you feel like you've done something wrong or that there's something... Stigma there. Yeah. Yeah, and actually the campaigners... Um, you know, people with HIV who campaign for people to get tested and for people to communicate that to their partners, uh, their chosen partners that they have HIV, would often say that those numbers of cases of HIV keep rising purely because of the stigma, because people are not saying to a new partner, I have HIV, then they have unprotected sex and, yeah. and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it is, um, you know, they are they are treatable um, and you can live with you can live with them and live a full yeah. life mm. I'm sure like 100%. you can just hear from those numbers yeah. like yeah. there's a lot of people out there who have something yes exactly. so you're not on your own yeah. you're not on your own exactly you're far better yeah. to go get it checked get and the treatment yeah and just and equally not telling your partner engaging in sex is just kind of you, you're entering into a whole cycle then of potentially yes. neither both of you just reinfecting each other absolutely yeah yeah. Um, Planned Parenthood have a really good um, piece on their website, which we will link in about kind of they go through in great detail mm. how to tell somebody that you have an STI, how to tell That's your partner, really how to broach the subject. Yes. Um, so if you do have one, I would highly recommend going onto their website. It's American, but obviously some, uni- you know, some inf- most information is universal. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Great. Um, so, so Amy, you answered one of the Dear Fanny questions. And mm. then the other um, question that came in was more so regarding the contraception. Um, and the question was, um, I want to get pregnant. And I asked my GP, should I stop the pill three or six months before I plan to get pregnant? Uh, the GP told me, no, carry on until you're ready um, to get pregnant. Then it took me six months, took me six months of trying to successfully become pregnant, mm. uh, what would you recommend um, doing? So, mm. I, I mean, will I start? Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I, I, everyone is different on this um, and everyone's body takes a different amount of time to re-regulate after stopping the pill. So if you are in a scenario where you are planning a pregnancy and you say, well, ideally, if I get pregnant in six months, that's great. Well, then you either have the opportunity to carry on the pill and just hope that, you know, you get pregnant quite quickly when you stop it, if you stop it after five months, or you can stop the pill and say to yourself, well, six months would be great. But if I get pregnant in the meantime, well, that's absolutely fine. Mm. I'm planning a pregnancy anyway, Um, because none of us know how long it's going to take to become pregnant, to become pregnant. You know, when you're even when you're planning and you're trying and the ovulation sticks, it can it can can still take time. Um, so it is very much an individual choice, but I think that, um, yeah, I think, I th- you know, everyone is different when it comes to, to re-regulating into a yeah. cycle. And I think ultimately you have to ask yourself if you're coming off a contraceptive like that to try and become pregnant, where, like how would you cope with becoming pregnant earlier than expected versus how would you cope with it taking a lot longer to become pregnant? And you just have to weigh what's more feasible for you to Mm. do in your particular situation. Because for some women, becoming pregnant too soon after stopping the pill could create a real problem in their lives. Whereas for some women, not getting pregnant for a long time after stopping a hormonal contraceptive like that creates a lot of issues for them. Yeah, absolutely, Um, yeah. 
I think it's best almost to kind of prepare as if it could happen. At any time. At, At any, any time. time. Yeah. And then therefore, if it does, it's a welcome surprise as opposed to a... Yeah. A basically kind of an unexpected pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and, and equally, there's nothing stopping if you want to come off the pill and wait for your cycles to regulate, to regulate for six months. And I mean, use other contraception Barrier in methods in the meantime. Yeah. 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 But... Um, but yeah, no, it was it was a good question. It's an interesting it's an interesting question. Uh, we invite all questions through our Instagram at boomionic and ionicboompodcast at gmail We would love to hear from anyone. Um, equally with feedback, we love we love uh, we yeah, love feedback. We've been getting lots of feedback. Yeah, and um, this has been an extra long episode. An extra I think. long bumper. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, bumper edition. Um, so thank you, thank you everyone for tuning in, and um, we will be back. In, in two a couple weeks, of weeks. Yeah. yeah. I hope. Yeah. Thank you to Steve, our producer, um, in Denmark Studios. Bye. 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 While we are medical professionals and we love answering your questions, this pod should never be used in place of a real life consultation with a midwife or doctor. If you have a serious concern about your health or a medical emergency, please go to your GP or to a hospital. <laughs>